Good morning. Don't we just have the most amazing media team here? I love that. Thank you. And we have such good teams everywhere. Uh, It's really good to be sharing God's word with you this morning. And uh, I just want to add my welcome to the one already offered by Tim this morning, especially if you're uh, you're new-ish like me, or maybe new here for the first time today. Uh, maybe you don't even know why you're here. Uh, Tim said we, uh, we could have all kinds of things going on, obviously, in us as we gather this morning. Well, uh, when Nikki, my wife, became, came to face, she had such a sense that she was Jesus' guest. She'd been invited by Jesus, and you've been invited by Jesus this morning. So you are really welcome, and do get to know us. So we're doing this series from 1 Peter. We're thinking about strengthening our core. Uh, I love this little uh, real doctor's excuse note that a mother sent in uh, uh, to to the doctor, uh, to the school, said, uh, I'm sorry that my son was absent yesterday. He's under the doctor's care. And unfortunately, yesterday, he could not breed properly. (laughs) Tim last week gave... An illustration, he, uh, he was talking about wanting to, uh, to be able to play tennis properly. And I think he was just making an excuse in advance, but you know. And he was talking about having a dodgy shoulder, wasn't he? And I just found it such a helpful little image. And he'd been for some physio. And the physio had attended to the back, had said, actually, the root of this problem is not the, is not the shoulder. That's the symptom of a deeper thing that needs to be addressed. It's, it's your back that I need to work on. And that was such a helpful image to me that God, God wants to attend to the real underlying things in our lives. I, I don't know about you, but I, I think it's possible that sometimes we can be satisfied with God only attending to the symptoms. You know, maybe you've had a wonderful experience of God in your life. You've, you maybe have come forward for prayer. And you've come to God and you've shared with someone some symptoms of things that are going on. And the Lord has blessed you. The Lord has met with you in that moment. But actually, maybe there's something deeper. There's a deeper tissue work that he wants to do in your life. And my sense this morning as I was, as I was praying, I just, I just wonder if there are a few people here who would share my own story as a Christian. Actually, at the time that Nikki became a Christian, I, I was leading a double life, that's the truth. I, I said I was a Christian, I did many of the right things, I even told Nikki that I was a Christian. Praise God, despite me, the Lord spoke to her. And when she became a Christian, God really used her to give me a very big kick in a soft part of the body. I was leading a double life. It was fuzzy. There was a, there was a lack of clarity. And I just wonder if there's anyone here who might share that sense who might just be saying, you know what, Lord, I do understand that there is a deeper work that needs to happen in my life. You you don't just want to deal with the symptoms. You don't want to do a sticking plaster kind of thing. You actually really want all of me 
as a gift. Not, not, to, not for you to leave this place weighed down with guilt. You know, in, in that time in my life when I was leading this double existence, I was kind of Andrew the Christian in one place and then Andrew really not very Christian in another place at work and elsewhere. I, I just constantly felt guilty. That's not a way that the Lord works. That's not a way that the Lord works. When the Lord reveals things to us, when Jesus says, there is some deeper tissue work that I want to do. I I don't want to just deal with symptoms. I want to get to the root of the problem. I want you to really be able to play and win at tennis. I want you to be able to really live life. He reveals those things for us, not to make us feel guilty, but so that he can attend to them so that he can do the deep work. Is that you today? I just wonder. I mean, I hope you're encouraged by the very fact of having this book in our hands, this wonderful letter from God, because he's speaking through to us now, isn't he? Uh, Circumstances change, context change, but human nature doesn't change. That's why God's word, scripture, is enduringly relevant to our lives. This is a book where we know the author, we know it's Peter because he refers to himself as one who was a witness to Jesus' suffering in in chapter 5. We know where he's writing from. He makes a reference to Babylon and that's a reference to the city of Rome. We know almost exactly when it was written, AD 63, it's, it's after Paul has left Rome because Paul doesn't make any reference to Peter being in Rome in his own letters And it's before the great fire of Rome in AD 64 when the Emperor Nero unleashed a massive persecution upon all of Christians. Because although Peter talks about suffering, although that's the context in which he's writing, it's clearly not at that scale yet. And we know from the itinerary that he gives us right at the very beginning, as Tim shared with us last week in 1 Peter that he's, he, it's being written to Christians across Asia Minor. And they're, they're Christians who are feeling, they're feeling different. They're feeling distant from the centre of church life. They're feeling exposed because of their faith. I hope you're encouraged that God wanted to write a letter of love to them. God wanted to say to them, actually, you're not alone. I am with you. And I want you to receive the gift, all, all of it. I don't want you to be living in a a double life. I don't want you to, to go out of places like this feeling more guilty than you came in before. I want you to know the freedom in Christ, the love of God. I want to do that deep work so that you don't have to keep coming back to me with the symptoms. Let's get to the roots together. Are you encouraged because God is writing his love letter to you? you maybe feel at work, at the school gate, at home, in your family circumstances? Do you wonder if God really knows you? He does. He loves you. 
He's calling you by name. And he wants it all. All of you. Let's read this scripture together. I so loved in that testimony, the the speaking of God's word. So with the the words of our passage for today coming on the screens, I'm going to ask you to to read them all together. We'll read them aloud together. Can we put the, the Bible passage up, please, that we're using? So let's read this through out loud together. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And there's a couple more verses. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let the word of God speak richly into your life as that wonderful testimony we had earlier shared. Now, little words make a big difference, don't they? I mean, the most loaded word in the English language, I think, is hmm. You know, you, hmm can mean so many different things. And as a, as a wise husband, you know to not ignore the word hmm. And in the Bible, little words, but and therefore, really matter as we're reading scripture, don't they? And we always ask ourselves the little trip off the tongue phrase is, what is the therefore, therefore? Of course, it's saying that what I'm about to say to you, Peter writes, is dependent on what I've just shared with you. So in chapter one of of 1 Peter, as Tim helped us think about last week, just to summarise, Peter recognises that the people he's writing to are suffering all kinds of trials. There's a sense in the Greek of the broad scope. And his concern for them, of course, is born out of genuine care, isn't it? Peter has experienced his own trials, his own experience. He says to them, but... The fact that you're going through these trials, the fact that you're struggling where you are now is not a reason to give up your faith. In fact, the very existence of these trials is actually 
to encourage you in faith. It's to encourage you into a deeper relationship with God. Trials, challenges, that, that response we get when we share in the office tomorrow, what did you do over the weekend? And we actually say the truth. We went to church and they look at us like we're mad. That makes us more aware, not less aware, of the reality of God. Why is that partner of yours so, so bothered about what you're doing? I mean, yes, they might sort of kind of think you've gone crazy and joined a cult and they use that kind of language, but spiritually, something is going on. Why do some people find us as Christians just so annoying by our very presence? There is something spiritual. And these trials, these sufferings, Peter says actually they can make you more aware not less aware of God. They make you more aware of the fact that we need him, we need the eternal life that he offers. That search in the soul can only be satisfied through him, through the death of Jesus. That stuff that I said about feeling guilty, you know, that, that, that double life that you can have if you're not, aware of it. Actually, that makes us more aware of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, not less. And Peter says in the, in the first verses, and then he's going on to, to unpack it for us now and to apply it now, he's saying, these trials, these sufferings that you're going through, they make you more aware of the eternal perspective, that this is not all there is to it. That we're called to live now in the light of then. Jesus is our living hope. Our living hope. And we're not called just to hold on to the end, to, to get to the finishing line, to get to death with gritted teeth, just about sort of kind of hanging on and getting over the finishing line. No, we are meant to be filled with this salvation life now. That as we exercise and strengthen our spiritual muscles, we are receiving the goal of our faith. Therefore, because that is true, says Peter, you should live in a particular kind of way. Now he says, prepare your minds for action. Literally in the Greek, it's, it's gird up the loins of your minds. One of those quaint little phrases. Whoever says to their friends now, gird your loins. But some of us are old enough to remember that. The imagery that Peter's using is from the ancient world where when a, when a man particularly was about to have to set off and be ready to set off, he would sweep up his robes and tuck them into his belt, ready to walk quickly or to, to be able to respond fast. And so the Greek has a, has a richness to it. It has a sort of kind of gets to the, gets to the heart of it. He literally say, gird up the loins of your mind for action. There is a need to be spiritually alert and ready. The trials are real. 
The challenges are real and great. And our passage then just has two primary commands. There are lots of action words that we read out together, didn't we? But there are actually only two primary verbs and the rest all kind of follow on from them. The first in verse 13 is set your hope fully on the grace of God. And the second in verse 15 is be holy in all you do. So gird up your loins, tuck in your robes and set your hope fully on God's grace and be holy in all you do. So first one, set your hope fully on God's grace. Paul has said, hasn't he, to them, he's written to them as foreigners in this land, as strangers, aliens in this land. And of course, they're not physically foreigners. They're, they're not separated from the people that they're amongst. In the same way we know, don't we, that God doesn't call them to be separate from those around them in their families. But spiritually, spiritually, there is a difference. Paul is saying that our eyes have to be fixed on heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And our focus needs to be fully on God. And fully with that perspective. So when Nikki gently kicked me, or God used Nikki to gently kick me in a soft part of the body, God was saying, Andrew, you're called to be different. You're, you're trying to have dual nationality. And that's not where I'm at. You belong to me. And your life belongs to me. And I want you to live it as a citizen of heaven. I hope we know, don't we, there's a kind of very focus. I mean, I'm struggling with glasses and you'll see me taking them on and off because I haven't gone on to very focused lenses yet. And basically, when I'm looking here, it's no good. When I'm looking, you know, I can't do it. Some of you have very focused lenses. I'll have to get used to that in a little bit. And there's a kind of very focus with salvation, isn't there? We know the truth, I'm sure, I hope, I pray. Maybe you're new here and you don't. We're saved from the penalty of sin by the death of Jesus on the cross. Saved from the penalty of sin. One day we will be saved even from the presence of sin when we are with him in heaven. And right now, well, we're being saved from the power of sin in our lives. There's this dynamic to our salvation, to our being in Christ. Penalty dealt with. Presence one day, no more in heaven. That's the definition of heaven. Right now, we're being saved from the power of sin. And this, this reality, this, this now and not yetness, is to explain why we have our struggles. It is to explain the kind of world that we live in. But we do have our new relationship with God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are part of this new family, adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And so our trials and our sufferings should focus us more fully on God's grace, not less, says Peter. Set your hope fully on God. I was in truth hedging my bets. That's the truth. I was hedging my bets. I was partially focused on God. And Peter says we need to be fully focused on God. And his grace. What do our lives tell? What's the story of our lives. Richard Dawkins, other atheists, aggressive secularists, they don't, they're not talking about the same kind of thing when they talk about faith. They think that faith uh, is a kind of intellectual idea, something that you just can or can't have. For us, we know the truth. Faith is a doing word, isn't it? Faith is the way that we live. Faith is our lifestyle. When Peter uses the word behaviour, it means the whole of our lifestyle. And what's the story of our lives? What does it say about what we really believe in? And yeah, because Jesus was sharp about this, we need to be sharp in the questioning, don't we? What's the story of our bank accounts? You come and have a look through my bank account. Nikki has now gone white. She handles the money in our household. But if you did, what story would that tell? The way I use my time, I had the glory of a day off this week. What am I really like on my day off? That tells you what I believe. Is my hope fully, fully, fully set on Jesus Christ and God's grace? I just wonder, I just wonder if there's anyone here who has that sense of double life. Because it's grace. God doesn't force it upon us. It's a choice. Peter is writing to these early Christians, these baby Christians, and he's saying, you have choice. Therefore, how are you going to choose to live your lives? Are you going to try and carry on with dual nationality? You're citizens of heaven. And the way you live now should reflect all that is to come. We read, didn't we? Peter says, God is an impartial judge. Every one of us, as Justin Welby said in the film we've just watched, every one of us will stand before God. And he is not equally, and of course in the way that he's not going to say to Justin Welby, were you a good archbishop? He's not going to look at me and say, oh hi, were you lead pastor of Trinity Cheltenham? Where's your card? Oh great, come straight on in. He's going to ask me questions about obedience. There is a choice here. Is your hope set fully on God's grace? You see, the truth is, in that period of life that I'm talking about, when I was leading the double life, I thought I could rely enough on myself. I'm quite 
a sense of a, a self-reliant person. I thought I was a big enough businessman. I thought I was a, a good enough kind of person. I'd been given some gifts, gift of the gab, that kind of stuff. I thought I could rely on myself. I was not fully reliant on God's grace. God doesn't want to just deal with the symptoms. He wants to do the deeper work. He wants to strengthen our core. Second command in this passage is be holy in all you do. Be holy in all you do. Now, Nikki has a real problem with temperature. I mean, wherever we go, she's either too hot, too cold. There's jumpers on, jumpers off. And in the car, you know, the, 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 uh, the uh, air conditioning has to be set for Nikki's temperature. I mean, we go in, buttons go. I mean, I know you can have zones now, which has kind of helped save a lot of marriages, hasn't it? But, but still, the honest truth is the temperature in our car and also the temperature in our house is set by Nikki. And I go along with that. I go along with that. Wisely. But you've heard it said, haven't you? We are not called to be thermometers. We are not called to adjust our temperature as human beings to the temperature of this world. We are called to be thermostats. And Paul writes to these new Christians and he says, the problem is you are squeezed and moulded by the world. He uses the word conforming. You're conforming to the ways of the world. He only uses it one other time in Romans 12 too. And the message version of the Bible uses such a great form of words. Don't be moulded. Don't be squeezed by the world. When, Paul, uh, when Peter uses the word sober, again, it's one of his favourite words that he uses. What he means by that, yes, of course, there's a sense of referring to, to physical drunkenness. Don't, be, don't have your judgment impaired by physical drunkenness. But really, it's spiritually. Don't have your judgment impaired by a, by a kind of spiritual drunkenness using this phrase about foreigners and exiles in the land. He's saying, we are in hostile territory. And he has got this image in his mind of, if you feed on the wrong things, if you allow the wrong things to mould you, then you'll be staggering when the spiritual lions are on the prowl. There's a real need, isn't there, to break with former things. That's what Peter says. There is a need to definitively break with former things. That is the deeper tissue work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. To change the pattern change the records so that our desires are not 
being shaped and squeezed by the world, but they are being shaped by the Holy Spirit. And it's an inside-out job, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit does. It's actually always, isn't it, about receiving and inviting more of the Holy Spirit into us, more of God into us. Do you remember the Monty Python sketch where the Black Knight was trying to fight them and the, and the bits got chopped off him? I'm old enough to remember that. And they said, come back and fight. And then another bit would get chopped off. He'd say, come back and fight. And another bit would get chopped off. And then say, come back and fight. And I think sometimes in the Christian life, we can be a little bit like that. Well, if God just takes that little bit off me that isn't so good or, or this little bit off me that isn't so good, then, then maybe I'll be able to fight the battle. God doesn't work like that. God fills us from the inside out. We are so filled with his grace, so filled with his love, so filled with the amazing truth that he knows us by name, that he's written letters to us, that he speaks directly into our hearts and says, I want all of you, be holy because that's my nature. You're a member of my family, then share this family likeness. Be holy because I am holy. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's make a definitive break with past lifestyle. Let's repent. Let's repent of what has been wrong. Let's receive God's forgiveness. And let's move forward. Form habits of obedience. When in the passage Peter refers to these Christians as be obedient children, he's, he's meaning the sense of a whole life of learning and obedience in all their behaviour, in all their lifestyle. Form habits of obedience. And you can only do that by falling back on the grace of God. If you leave this time together to go back to the school gate or go back to your partner who thinks you're mad or be ready to go into the office tomorrow or be preparing to go to shop at Tesco's or wherever, if you go from here resolving somehow in yourself, I must do better, in my, I must be stronger, then you are missing, you're missing the point it's God's work in us to be holy, to be, to be set apart within. We're not called to, to form a little cult, are we? A separate club, a separate clique. We are called to be set apart within. You are called to be the one to go into the office tomorrow and set the thermostat at a new temperature. God is appointing you as chaplain to the places that you live and that you work, to your road, to your neighbours. He's appointing you as the chaplain, not to be a thermometer, but to be a thermostat. To be holy, to live differently in the power and in the strength of God. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. In my strength. It is only to invite the Holy Spirit to do an inside out job. And through that to change the world. To change the world. The, the vision of thy kingdom come. The scope 
of thy kingdom come is not bums on seats in churches. It's not somehow to save the Anglican church or any other church, is it? It is to transform and to change the world. You are the missionaries. You are there. We don't have a map, unfortunately, with a little bit of string to your pin where you are. But in a sense, we should. You are called to change the world. To live now fully in the light of then. Spiritually different citizens of heaven. Because of all this, therefore, Therefore, what are you going to do? Should we just quietly, for a moment, try and receive where we're seated? Just for a moment. I had the sense uh, before I spoke this morning of maybe one or two of us having, the best way I can describe it, and I apologise for not being able to be more precise, but it was a sort of sense of fuzziness, an unhelpful kind of fuzziness around our relationship with Jesus. And his desire, his gift is clarity. <laughs> Invite the Holy Spirit to come to give clarity. where we've been squeezed, where we are being squeezed by the world to give clarity. To say sorry God, 
Sorry, God. My desire is to be holy. And just in the quietness of the moment again for a, this moment, a sense of where we will be this time tomorrow. And a sense of God's desire for us to be setting the spiritual temperature right there. To be his agents of transformation and change. And I'm sensing the Lord saying, choose your words carefully. Choose what you want to say to me. I am God. And if you want to make a commitment to me, if you want to say something to me about living differently, I will hear you. Choose what you want to say to the Lord, the prayer you want to make. If we're able to, shall we stand together? As we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, I know in just a few minutes, parents will need to go and honour our children's teams, our kids' teams, but we still have got two or three minutes together. We invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I think there could be obviously a multitude of reasons why you might want to ask someone to pray with you today. It may well be because you want to set a new spiritual temperature in your workplace, in your home. It may also be because you know that you've been leading a bit of a double life. It may also be because you want to make a definitive break with the past. You want God to do that deeper work, that deep tissue work in you. For those reasons and many more, I invite you to come to the front now if you would like someone to pray with you this morning. If you want to go out of here from, in a different way to the way you came in this morning, Please just come forward now.